everyone, and welcome to episode 64 of the Flex to Post podcast. I am your host, Jason Lacey, joined by the one, the only, the omnipotent, Lucas Rose. I feel like you're like introducing me into the wrestling ring or something every time. And I'd have to get down with the voice. <laughs> the one, this corner. The only. Tag team yeah. champion. Because I can't do it alone. <laughs> You gotta give me a macho man now if we talk wrestling. Oh yeah, <laughs> macho man Randy Savage. I gotta be kind of quiet because I'm upstairs now. Oh, <laughs> it's the worst. Oh my, you're gonna go awake demons. It's true. In the night. <laughs> now, now if you do something bad or say something stupid, the net can just walk over and hit you. <laughs> it's true. It's pretty, <laughs> it's a pretty long walk though. <laughs> <laughs> and but we are not alone. In this episode, oh. I am very happy to introduce our guest for this evening, the one and only Denny Luce. All right. Well, thank you for uh, having me on the show. I've been looking forward to it after 63 episodes of listening to you guys. <laughs> and I'm finally invited on. Thank you very much. There's an important thing to take away from that comment is that after 63 episodes, you're still, still here. Around. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, no. You guys... Uh, I, I I don't want to bloat your egos up too high, but uh, I love the ban- I love the interaction between the two of you. Nothing is better in a podcast than co-hosts who actually have chemistry with one another that can play off each other, can be funny. Uh, and I actually, I mean, even though some of the funniness is uh, you know inside jokes, hey, I still right. laugh. You know, I, I can still laugh at it. It's some funny stuff. So I I appreciate what you and Lucas provide for me in entertainment and, and with that being said i actually did listen to every single episode you guys have done and i've thoroughly enjoyed almost all of them if you get to 100 you get a t-shirt so <laughs> all right <laughs> you get to join the club I, uh, hey thank you <laughs> uh, uh i i felt like it, this was just a matter of time I, I had been well i did uh gosh it was way it was few months ago i was a guest on the the gamers unscripted mm-hmm. um podcast and i was uh meef j from uh everyday gamers had suggested tap the craft to me then and i just didn't have a chance to to jump into it and to mm-hmm. listen and then it was um at some point i don't remember maybe it was after when he had you know connected us on on twitter yet again or other another time and i was like you know what i need to i haven't listened to any i Oddly enough, I haven't listened to any like beer podcast, and I was—I think it was because I was initially uh, worried of coming across of what your show strives not to be. It was to come, you know, just to hit like that pretentious, snobby, you know, the, the type of stuff I liked to avoid with craft yes. beer. And yes. uh, that's what I like about your show, Tap the Craft, comes in. You know, you're the—you try to be the every for the the show for the everyman. Yes, yeah, that's the goal. Is that uh, Tap the Craft is just a show that is a beer education that's trying to get people to you know to to jump in to the craft beer hobby. We don't want to alienate people from it. We don't want to be the guys that say uh, you have to be a certain level to be able to enjoy craft beer. No, craft beer can be enjoyed by all, and we want to make sure that everyone has the equal opportunity to go and enjoy the great thing that we that you and I. And my co-host, John, know that craft beer is great. And we just want to help people learn. And we definitely, I, I call it the, 
uh, craft beer education for the masses because I want everyone to be able to come in, whether you have only knowledge of drinking Bud Light uh, or if you have knowledge of drinking a few craft beers, you still can find something useful in our show. So I'm glad that you you leaped in thanks to Meef J. Um, I actually listened to that that episode of Gamers Unscripted. I don't remember hearing you at all on that show, Jason, but uh, I do remember Beef Jay mentioning my show, and I really appreciate that. Jay is a is a great promoter of all the the community shows. So hey, I have to I have to give him a little high five for introducing us, and and uh, literally, it was when he mentioned that we should get together because of the the Battle of Beers, and he said, Hey, you know what, yep. you guys. Actually, you know, should get together and, and chat because, you know, we think that you guys have something in common. And I'm glad that he brought us together that way because that was more personal. And I felt that, hey, let me let me go listen to what you guys have to say. And when I did, I was so impressed that I said, OK, now I need to go listen to their podcast. And then that's when I fell in love with what Flexipose is all about. And the rest is history. Now I'm here. So. Now you've reached the summit. Yeah, I'm at the peak. I've, I've, I mean, I battled it for two months. I've, it took, or maybe three months. I can't remember. It's been a while. Uh, I like uh, your comment about uh, level five on your about your podcast because all I could picture was like the uh, the scene from uh, the Make Love Not Warcraft episode of South Park. Yeah, you know, grinding out on boars, people like sitting down and just grinding it out on like PBR and other like beers. To, oh, I, I got to be a level five beer drinker before I can. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's yeah. It's 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 definitely not not that uh, that tough. We John and I. So I guess let me just give you. I don't want to take over your show, but let me just give a background on what we do. John, John and I, I my co-host, my great beer expert co-host. I'm just a beer enthusiast, but I have a great guy that's a, a good friend of mine. He lives in Seattle, Washington, who is a home brewer. He's not only a home brewer, but he's also a uh, a beer judge. He actually went through and got certified as a homebrew beer judge, and he goes to homebrew contests, and he, and he judges beers. And he's not only that, but he's an award-winning home brewer. How, how can I be so lucky to be partnered up with such a great guy? Uh, he and I do this show that just talks about uh, different things about beer. It talks about our own experiences with the things we drink. It talks about the beer uh, educational things like, hey, what's all this about pouring your beer into a glass? Is that important or is it not important? Why is it important? Well, you know, do I want to have a good head on my beer or do I want to have no head? What, why is a head important? Uh, what is in beer? How does beer made? You know, all kinds of good information about beer. Absolutely. And, and, and we, what, what's also nice is that we like to encourage our listeners to jump in and ask questions, give us their experiences. And Hey, if we're wrong because we're not experts, well, at least I'm not, John is. So, you know, I'll, I'll let him take the, the cred for whenever he says something that's not 100% correct, but we're enthusiasts. We love craft beer. And sometimes our passion will outweigh maybe some facts because we get so, you know, emotionally involved in it. And we will misstep. And if we do, we encourage our listeners to go ahead and tell us, hey, you're wrong. And you know what? I am not, I am man enough to stand up there and tell you guys, hey, I was wrong and, and this guy is right. And that's what makes us, we're approachable to all types of people that just want to drink 
good quality craft beer. And that's what Tap to Craft is all about. It's a, a fairly short show. We try to keep it in an hour uh, because, as you'll notice probably during this episode of Fluxapose, I can't keep my mouth shut. Uh, I, I tend to, to talk about my passions. Uh, it does sometimes run a little bit long. Just keep that in mind. Uh, it's not John's fault. It's mine. I take full credit for that. But uh, I recommend anyone who's just curious about craft beer and just enjoys, again, chemistry between hosts. I think John and I have a good chemistry. Uh, that, give us a shot. Just listen, and, and maybe you would also embrace the craft beer hobby. Try some things, and uh, hey, you never know. Maybe you'll a one-time person who doesn't like beer may actually learn to enjoy beer. Excellent. It's a it's a hearty endorsement. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, John or Jason, I'm going to put you on the spot since you oh, have man. listened to almost all of the 21 episodes of Tap to Craft. You're, I know you're waiting for uh, for you to find the the magic beer for the tasting on next episode. So I'll let that slide, Mm -hmm. but, um, but can you, uh, I'm just going to say, Hey, what do you, again, be completely honest. I have thick skin. Uh, don't worry about it, but, uh, what can I do? What can John and I do better to make the show, uh, even, even more approachable to people or make it even better? Is there things that, that maybe we could do better that, uh, that would help, help the show that you see, or if, if not, you can go ahead and give us all the praise you want. I'll take praise too. So you, <laughs> you can give me your opinion on, on what we do good and what we do bad and what we can work on. And Hey, we will put those in action. Well, I think like we were talking before the show, like one of your goals. And I think when the show really started was off, started, got up and running is when you were able to convince John to come on the show. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wouldn't want to, I, first of all, I applaud you for starting things off as a solo show. Because that, that's that's got to be difficult, and that's not uh, not anything I would like to try personally. Mm-hmm. I thought that you know that October with Lucas being gone, I thought I was going to have to do at least one or two that way. And luckily, I had you know people jump in to help me out. <laughs> um, but no, I, I I can't thinking now. I mean, I can't think of any one thing that I I would say is a real a real negative to the to the show or to the production. Um, I like the the banter that the two of you have. I like the the flow on the discussion, and I mean, it, it's it's oddly enough because as I was listening to things, it um, is right at the same time I wanted to start um, doing a couple things because like I had just gotten my um my I want to say my bounty because like six bottles is a bounty of KBS. And I was like, yeah, I, know, oh, I really, yeah. really <laughs> want to start cellaring a little bit. And sure enough, like the next episode I listened to was your episode about celebrating. I was like, oh, yes, perfect. Um, so that those, those are the things I was interested in, like the perfect, the, the pouring, I really found the, like the pouring discussion interesting too. I was like, <laughs> Oh, you know, I never, I never thought about that. And, and then I would think about, cause I always give Lucas a hard time when he pours during the battle of Asshole. beer episodes, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. So, um, no, I'd have to go back and, and, give it a more thorough listen with, the, with that type of critical ear. Cause I, like I, most of my shows I consume, you know, when I'm working. So I'm happy just, I'm just getting the, the product, you know, and pulling that just the, the meat and the potatoes of the show. I'm mm-hmm. not, I can't, I'm not digging down too much of that, but I mean, I'd be more than happy in the future to, 
to do that for you. I mean, I'm okay. by, I am I am by no means a an expert, but I will give you a, a critical a critical ear. Excellent. That's all I can ask. I just we 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 appreciate honesty and can and uh, constructive criticism is welcome. If people just want to troll us, uh, you'll be <laughs> you'll be ignored because we can tell the difference. But you know, uh, we've never turned down any constructive criticism, and believe me, we've gotten quite a bit from uh, different different uh, some of our better listeners. And hey, I embrace it. I and I, if you email us. I will email you back guaranteed. That's one thing that I don't ignore is people that contact us. We're we're constantly emailing and Twittering. And I even have some people on my phone and I actually text them, uh, you know, regular text messages back and forth because that's how involved we are. But again, a lot of these people I've known for many years uh, from, you know, from my, my history in podcasting. So it's not that they're noob. It's because I've already was engaging with them before, but, that's they know that I'm just a guy that that enjoys what I do, and I if I can make it better, and if I if I don't see that something's wrong, hey, I I want to be told so that that I can then recognize it and and make it better for a lot more people. I don't want to turn anyone off to what we do, and that's that's the key. And um, as you mentioned, Jason, uh, because I, anyone that does want to go and look up on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, tap the craft. The first two episodes are me by myself, uh, a little bit scripted because when you're doing a podcast by yourself, it's very uh, nerve wracking and you're always worried that you're going <laughs> to ramble on about stuff that's not important because I can do that a, a lot and you're not going to cover the, the key points you wanted to. So I scripted out my first two episodes pretty, pretty uh, you know, strict outline and, and a lot of reading. Ignore that. Just get just listen to the first two to get history on myself. Find out why how I became involved in craft beer. And I've been involved in craft beer for twenty-five plus years. So it's been a long time. But it's nice to find out how I got started. That's a, that's a story that you'll learn. And then when John enters on episode three, that's when the real fun begins. So that's what Jason was alluding to. And I just want to make sure you guys don't give up on me. On the first episode, because, uh, like I said, John has a lot to offer to the craft beer enthusiast. Amen. <laughs> well, excellent. Again, welcome, and thank you for uh, for joining us tonight. All right, thank you for having me, Lucas. You did yes. you did some uh, you did some work this past weekend. I did the old the old uh, True Myth Media out doing their doing their thing on the yeah. scene. We we dusted off the old equipment, you know, shook out the rust a little bit. And, I mean, uh, I mean, it, it wasn't a battle of the beer, so I mean, it sure it no. could have been that fun for you. But I mean, <laughs> we had we had to use our actual talents instead of just going <laughs> get it done as we do with the battle of the beers, right? <laughs> right, right. No close-ups. No, no, no. <laughs> um. So yeah, we had a um. We had our first wedding this Saturday uh, of the year so far, anyway. And yeah, it's always a little, it's always a little nerve wracking because the first one's always the hardest. You know, you, it's been a while since you've done them, and it, it's kind of funny that you bring that up because doing a wedding. Um, thankfully, we decided when we first started out that we were both gonna, oh, we were always going to both be there. 
Um, cause I, we really feel like you need two cameramen. Otherwise there's just something bad will always happen. Even when you have two cameramen, something bad always happens. Um, and so doing a, a video like battle of the beers, you kind of, you get into kind of a rhythm where you kind of know how it's going to go. There's a formula to everything. Well, every wedding is generally different in the way that they're set up. The location's always different. The lighting, just the way that things are going to be set up. And so you never know what you're going to work with until you kind of get there and you have about like an hour to figure out what you're going to do. So, um, as you had said, you'd seen that, uh, Mike had posted on our Facebook that, that we had had to do something for this church, uh, during the ceremony. Well, they apparently they have, have a regular sound guy who wasn't able to show up that day. So they hired someone else who just kind of fills in or was was not related to the church. I'm not exactly sure, but somebody somebody they don't normally use. And um, so this apparently got confused and he thought he didn't have to come in. Apparently, this guy thought that the other the original guy was going to be the guy to do it. So they didn't have a sound guy. Well, if if you've ever seen a church um, sound system like PA system. It can be fairly complicated if you've never seen it before. I mean, right. there's a mixer, there's all sorts of different amplifiers, and they're channeling it to a thousand different places. And so we were like, they were freaking out. And um, the coordinator of the wedding itself, and I think she also worked for the church, uh, came approached us and said, "Hey, do you guys know anything about sound?" And we're like, "Well, you know, kind of." Um, Mike's. Probably, you know, I think whoa, he said whoa, he's whoa. done. That's some... when you should have said, "Excuse me, I do a podcast <laughs> weekly called Fluxtapos. You've probably heard of it. I know, I, I know a thing or two about sound. Do you guys know a program called Mumble? No, okay, I can't help you then. Um, so he had done some stuff for the church before, and you know, I mean, you just kind of when when you're kind of a gamer and you've um, kind of played PC games and put. PCs together and stuff like that. You just kind of have that skill set of like, you know how wires can generally be connected together and how pretty much how things flow. So we took a look at it and sure enough, we were able to get everything running. It wasn't too hard. They thankfully they went to the trouble of like labeling everything. Mm. And so the hardest part was actually trying to figure out how to turn the stupid thing on because the mixer itself wasn't the power source. It was another thing on another desk and yada, yada, yada. So we did end up getting it um, figured out. And so everyone in the church could hear what the the pastor was saying and the day was saved. So thankfully we were able to uh, get that because that's good for us too, because we usually just um, take our recording device. If we, if we can't um, jack into it, like we did this time, it will kind of get extra. It has an external microphone on it so it can get, the audio, but sometimes it's kind of echoey and stuff. So we would prefer to just be able to get the feed directly from the soundboard. And so since we fixed it, we were able to do that and it'll, it always makes for a better um, sound experience once you start editing. So, but uh, yeah, you know, we had our, we had pretty much like any wedding, you always have something that doesn't turn out the way that you want it to. Unfortunately, uh, the way that the, this, um, church was set up the the sight lines were so narrow as far as like how far out we could go with the cameras and everything on the sides it was to the point where i was basically 
right next to everybody in the audience. So unfortunately, when we were planning out our our um, our um, how we were going to do this, we didn't take into account that everybody stands up when the bride comes in. So uh, I'm yes. sitting here and I'm just like, oh no! As I'm recording, I'm like, oh, they're all going to stand up. I didn't even think about this. <laughs> And they're all like everybody in this family is like over six feet tall. There wasn't a best man in there that wasn't over five eleven. I would say so. They're all like everybody in their family are tall people. So sure enough, they stood up, and I couldn't get any of the bride walking in. Thankfully, Mike was able to get most of it, and we had our trusty GoPro, which we usually stash somewhere just in case we ever have to cut to that footage. So. <laughs> So it was an experience, needless to say, and uh, you know, a wedding usually is about a twelve-hour day. So, not to mention all the editing that you get to do once you get home. So, but uh, I always enjoy them. I, I don't mind them uh, too much. It's definitely better than working at Target. I will say that much. <laughs> so, yeah, amen to that. Um, and then, kind of similar to the or on the same thing theme as uh, weddings, um, a friend of my wife's that she went to high school with was getting married and she had posted on her Facebook that she wasn't really, she didn't really understand what the, the, um, um, wedding cinema cinematographer, the wedding videographer, whoa, uh, wanted from her, like as far as what time they should be there and yada, 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 all that stuff. So I said, well, you know, normally when Mike and I do it, they just say, hey, this is when the wedding's going to be. We're going to probably be at the church at this time or, or wherever. Uh, and then we kind of determine what time we're going to show up, not base it off what the bride tells us or, or whatever. So I thought that was kind of weird. So I, she got she got her friend in touch with me, and I went over some stuff with her trying to figure out, you know, just exactly what what was going on here. And my first impression was, you know, maybe it was an amateur um, videographer who hadn't been doing it a long time. He was clearly doing it by himself. So that's always a little more difficult too. And, um, this is out in Las Vegas. So it's not like I could just, you know, go and help or something like that. So I, you know, I told her what I could, I, I asked her some questions about like, uh, if she would divulge what she was paying and everything, just to make sure that things were kind of on the up and up. And uh, so I kind of set her mind at ease a little bit and just kind of told her what to tell him. Well, we found out today, just, you know, like an hour or two ago, that uh, this guy was a scam artist, actually. Oh. And she had, she had already paid, um, which we usually take half of the money up front just to, to basically say, hey, you have us for this date. No matter what happens, your wedding will be, you know, um, this is kind of like a binding contract. And uh, so that she paid the money up front was kind of a no-no to me. Um, I would have questioned that. So apparently this guy um, got caught for scamming a bunch of different people. And uh, I don't know if he's ever actually done anything that he's, he's claimed that he does as far as videography and stuff. So um, I, ma- I had made a joke that if they paid the for my hotel and for my airfare, I would go and do their wedding for them. <laughs> well, well, Danette had texted that to them and apparently she started looking at um, airline tickets. So there is a fair chance that I might be emergency 
um, <laughs> flighted out of here to Las Vegas to do a to do a wedding. I doubt it. I would be very surprised. My guess is that they'll just have the guests kind of take video and um, I can do something with that, or they can edit themselves or or whatever. Uh, but that's uh, a they're getting situation. Here's the worst part: they're getting married in three days. So, mm. well, basically two days now. So that's why all the, the running around happening. But for anyone who's listening who is planning on getting married, uh, that is why I'll, the trend seems to be that you think of who you're going to get for photography like a year out before your wedding. But your videographer is something that you think about like two weeks before the wedding. You kinda, <laughs> you're kind of you like, ah, oh, do we really want to pay for that? And then it gets closer and you're like, man, we put all this money into our wedding. We should probably get it on video. And then, uh, you know, and then you try to hurry up and get somebody who hopefully hasn't been booked yet. So mm. try and book someone as soon as you can um, before the wedding. So that's moral of the story, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want me videotaping your wedding because I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> do you do it with an iPad? Because I've seen <laughs> no. someone do that before. Uh, no, no. I Luckily, um, the... The uh, father of the bride gave me their camcorder, so at least I had something official oh, nice. and a, and a tripod. But I, you know, honestly, I have no idea how to videotape a wedding, so I just kind of went on the the choir uh, balcony, uh, you know, mm-hmm. from behind, and I just kind of set the tripod and I zoomed in, and I kind of, you know, I tried to do everything the best. At the end, I, I never saw the end product, but. They said uh, I did a great job. I don't know if it's a great job because it was free or <laughs> if it certainly was a decent job. So it's hard to but, argue uh, with free. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a friend of the family. So hey, we do what we have to do to support our friends. And that mm. I mean that the, I've seen more and more weddings where they've just decided to let their friends take a lot of the pictures and um, kind of put them up on on uh, Twitter and hashtag them or something mm-hmm. like that. Like this wedding had a hashtag like, Hey, help us celebrate our wedding by hashtagging your post on it or whatever with your pictures mm-hmm. and video and stuff. So that's I think that's cool becoming, idea. yeah, I think that's kind of becoming the trend and it definitely captures a different feel because they're the ones that can kind of get closer without, I mean, we're carrying around cameras. So once people see that they they immediately, you can see them. If they notice us, they like, kind of tense up and they're like, Oh, I'm on camera now. <laughs> so, so you can't really get that, um, that kind of candid, candid look until everybody starts drinking. <laughs> Usually that's when all, all care goes out the window, <laughs> but, um, yeah. So there's something to be said about, you know, just getting somebody that, you know, and, and, you know, that you don't, you're not thinking, Hey, who's the stranger holding this camera or whatever. So, yeah, that, that was the most, um, I don't know. The, the part that I had the hardest time doing is when the the mother of the bride said, hey, Denny, uh, I want you to take the camera. I want you to go. This is the reception time now. Now, now everyone's kind of loosened up. They're starting to drink. And they said, <laughs> I want you to go to every person and ask them to say, you know, whatever, oh. some, some endearing words for the couple. And I'm like, I don't even know any of these people. Yeah. And now I'm walking mm. around the camera and nobody wants to say a word. And I'm trying to coax them into saying something and man i was so uncomfortable just asking these strangers to talk about now some people would you can tell the people that were actually you know family members that that cared about the the couple but 
most of the friends and, and, and people that were there outside of the family, they didn't want to have anything to do with that until <laughs> until the mother-in-law came in and grabbed the camera from me and said, okay, this is how you do it. And then she went and guilted everyone into <laughs> you know spilling their guts on camera. That sounds miserable. Thankfully, we don't do that. <laughs> good, good. Or at least we charge extra for it. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting tales of matrimoniousness. Oh, well, shall we... Shall we do that thing where we talk about the stuff that we do and we watch and we play, but then we call it what you plan? Should we Ooh. do that now? Let's do that. Let's do that now. <laughs> Post haste. Do you want me to start? Shall I start? I you have a should. very light. Oh, boy. This is how this. Uh, I'm not even going to finish that. That's a, yeah, I know what you're going to say. That's how it always. That's what you say. Yeah. And then 20 minutes later. <laughs> I can't help that I'm interesting when I talk about things. Mm. So, <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Well, I'll can I? I'll just start now. I'll just start. Okay. Just start. I'll just start. Uh. So, uh, I didn't really play any games, not any ones that I have talked about. So this is all going to be movie based and one TV show actually. Um, I got Exodus, Gods and Kings. Something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. The one with Christian Bale. Mm-hmm. Um, the story of Moses. Uh, kind of that epic biblical tale. And um, I wasn't really sure what to expect. I remember seeing the the previews for it. And um, I thought it looked okay. You know, it looked pretty good. And it's directed by Ridley Scott. So I thought, hey, you know, it should be something to see, right? Um, well, I got to say... It, uh, it's pretty slow. It, <laughs> it, I mean, that's kind of to be, to be expected, I suppose, since it is a kind of, I don't, I hesitate to call it a Bible movie, but I guess a, a movie based on a biblical story is probably a better and very slight difference, but, uh, it, it doesn't feel, um, it's not passion of the Christ or anything like that. Let's just put it that way. Okay. Um, but it's it's just I don't know it I guess it just kind of assumes that you already know most of the story and so you, you would normally fill in the gaps since you you would have read it or something and so for me I didn't really take a lot out of it I didn't really get a sense of like connection with any of the characters uh they didn't really spend a whole lot of time on developing them like they just kind of tell you hey these two people were raised like brothers and you're just they never really show you that they're that they are like brothers they just tell you hey they're like brothers so you should (laughs) feel bad if one dies or something like that so i have a hard time connecting with anything when it just kind of tells you what's going on Mm -hmm. um i mean it looked good it looked great actually uh and I think the biggest problem is that it kind of starts out a little actiony and then there's this huge time span where everyone's just talking to each other basically. And then it gets kind of back into the, the plagues and, and Moses leading everyone out of um, the city and all that stuff away from Egypt. How can you follow up against Charleston, Charlton Heston? I know, right? I mean, well, yeah, there's probably people getting on Twitter right now saying, why did they remake that movie? Ah, They didn't need to. It's a classic. Don't touch it. So, I mean, you kind of had a little uh, Artie Gumbel going on there. (laughs) 
Word. That's Ray Romano. That's Ray Romano. (laughs) (laughs) So, so anyways, um, have you, uh, have you, I don't remember if I remember if you've seen Noah. Have you seen that movie? I have seen Noah. Yeah. Um, I would say that that is, um, like a, a, probably a step above, uh, this movie, but I mean, Mm -hmm. it's kind of not really fair because I didn't know in Noah that they were going to have such, um, kind of fantastical elements to it. Yeah, There's a little yeah. bit of fantasy to it. And I know some people that kind of rub them the wrong way, but um, I felt like at least in that, the storytelling, the the ability to convey a story that is relatable mm-hmm. and not just kind of telling you this is to me, this movie was kind of like the, the um, Sunday school version of, of the story oh, the of Moses. Yeah. Whereas Noah was kind of like, your friend telling you, yeah, there's this guy and he has to build a boat and, oh, there was these rock creatures too. That was pretty cool. <laughs> you know, so they kind of spice it up a little bit and kind of take it. So I think it's just different flavors for, for different people who, yeah. um, you know, different preferences. So this is very much the strict kind of telling of the story. And okay. I mean, it's not, it's accessible still there. I mean, they're not talking in these and thous and everything, but, um, mm. you know, it's, it's um, it's kind of safe. Let's just put it that way. It was the safe route that they took on this. So okay, it it didn't really impress me too much. Um, it's two and a half hours, so it's a little long. Um, and it was I don't know if you're not interested in it, I would say probably pass. If if you don't have any interest in the um biblical notions of the movie, then I wouldn't I wouldn't go for it. So. Um, okay. which I was kind of bummed. I mean, it's Ridley Scott. So I thought, you know, I was thinking kind of like gladiator or something yeah, like that. Yeah, but, well, that's, uh, that's what it looked like when I saw the previews. I'm thinking, okay, it's gladiators with the biblical, you know, story. Yeah. And, and it, but that's not what it felt like when you watched it though. It felt like it was more of a storytelling, not, n- not going too, too much fantasy and too much extra away from the story. It's kind of, it was, it was focusing more on the real Maybe the real story. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Versus Noah, which was loosely based on the story, but had a lot of extra stuff that uh, people could say, wow, this is a crazy story. But like my wife, she could hardly get through Noah every every five seconds. She's like, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, okay, honey, just just watch the movie. It's a movie. Right. I I understand. It's not going to follow the the way the Bible, you know, says it. But let's just watch it. And And Noah, for what it was, and we've we, we've seen Noah. It, it was uh, it was a long movie, also. But you know what? It was a it was kind of a fun story. If you if you take it for what it is, uh, it was an interesting story that was told with some great, some fantastic effects. And and I mean, I really I mean, the effects were incredible. Uh, so I I don't know. I'm kind of curious. I've been. I have the Exodus on my uh, Netflix DVD list mm-hmm. to get. I just haven't moved it up to the top of the list yet because uh, <laughs> I I just don't know what to expect. But now that you've mentioned that it it's you know it kind of maybe falls more in line with the the real stories. Maybe I will get it and and I'll see how my how my wife treats that one and and see if I get an earful throughout the whole movie this time. <laughs> <laughs> you will. Yeah, okay. I can't I can't say how how. To the um to the story how like loosely based on the story or 
or anything. I would imagine that it's pretty, I mean, nothing crazy happens. Okay. The, gist, the gist of it is definitely there. Um, but it definitely has the kind of uh, looser, um, from a historical perspective, I suppose, kind of a looser interpretation there where the way that characters act aren't as strictly historical as you would expect everyone okay. no one's like stiff uh having to be like <laughs> i'm a pharaoh you know they they're they're actually some kind of weird tone issues where they take um they take um sacrificing people almost i don't want to say as a joke but it, it's almost kind of funny because there's um when um ramsey's father was in power he had like a um an old world kind of um soothsayer or something like that and he kept her around but didn't really agree with anything that she was saying mm. so when she was failing him she decided he decided to, to hang her or whatever and the way that they decided to present that was very almost jokingly it, it, it just seemed weird because the rest of the movie was fairly dark so mm-hmm. um i don't know it was, it was just weird so they were they played very fast and loose with that kind of thing so I think to appeal to a larger audience without, again, making it fantastical. Um, okay. And then I, w- I won't talk too much on this, but I will mention that Jason and I walk- watched uh, Mad Max Fury Road together. Well, which, so it's uh, either we talk about it now or we talk about it when I do. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> I was going to say. Uh, um, well, let's, uh, I guess let's talk about it now then. Um Mr. It's, I don't got a lot here. It's not going to do a lot. I only have one other thing after this. That's it. We're talking about on yours. And then I watched, um, I got into season four of The Walking Dead. Uh, I, I told you about how I kind of binge watched up until the end of season three. Right, right. And then I said, you know what? Let's, put, let's push on to season four. And it really is. I don't know what, what it was about um, season three and the town and the, the governor and everything, but season four has not had that problem with me so far. It's probably also because I didn't have to restart it and watch like eight episodes that I had seen like yeah, half right. a year later. So I'm earlier. always, I'm always bad with remembering seasons. And so that happens after, um, what I got how does to that th- season start. I got to the part where, um, well, like, like Rick has been shaken. He doesn't want to carry his gun around anymore because his son, is kind of taken up the live by the sword thing. And then I just got through the episode where everyone's trying to survive this, this fever or this uh, flu that's going around. Oh yes. Okay. And uh, I know where you are. Yeah. They got to the, they got to the college. Oh man. What a, what a kick to the balls that is that they get to the, uh, the university I should say. And uh, to get the medicine and find out what's waiting for them there. Woo. Let's just say it looked like Dead Rising number three. <laughs> just, just typical zombie apocalypse plot yeah, line. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. If you're a video game character, you just you know quickly to construct a lawnmower with open blades on the front and mow everybody down. But but uh, this strives for a more realistic approach, I think. So uh, so yeah, that's really. I mean, that's kind of pretty much all I did. Honestly, I can't really think of. I mean, playing some games here and there, but nothing. Nothing too serious, so maybe next week. Oh, on deck, I also have Big Hero 6 and the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So that should be coming oh, by, nice. by next week. So I, I want to watch, watch Big Hero 6. I want to watch um, TMNT because I know that you had seen it and we haven't really talked too much about it. So 
um i want to get that that in so we can talk about it or 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 whatever excellent that's what i did man radical i mean okay tubular <laughs> exactly so what what have you been up to this week jason uh, um you know i didn't i didn't play a whole lot until like the weekend um you know a couple uh matches here and there of dirty bomb just because i can uh you know get through it in a short you know i can hop on and do like you know a couple rounds and yeah you know, half hour you know. match or whatever um, I will be very happy when Nader comes off the free rotation because I'm just so sick of like if you get stuck playing on a, like a 16 person server and the other team has like four Naders, there's just so much grenade spam. You can't you have no chance of completing any objective. Yeah, especially after they changed her to have five grenades that she can shoot out of her her gun. And it seems to spawn. I mean, that's I think it's only seven seconds now on the cooldown. Yeah, she's Seven the reason I don't feel like I need to play Skyhammer unless we're running out of ammo all the time. Because Skyhammer's uh, ability takes forever compared to that. To be able to shoot like five grenades as opposed to having one airstrike and then waiting, I think it's like a minute and a half or something like that. Yeah. I, I, die, like that. I die like three times before I have the, the power back. So... But yeah, once she gets out of free rotation, that'll be a hell of a lot better. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and then uh, I was helping out our. I participated with uh, with Dave during his eight bit salute stream mm. on uh, on Saturday, and he was. I didn't mention. I didn't list this here, but we played War Thunder. You know, the free to play. Uh, oh, yeah. The claim. Game. Yeah, playing yeah. game. Uh, which is interesting to say the least we played the arcade <laughs> we played the arcade variant of it so you don't really have to worry about uh you know what what what, what damage your plane takes doesn't affect your oh. your flight or okay. anything like that and it's just you know aim the mouse the direction you want to fly type thing so the controls are i think a little simplified too it, it's fun but it's like it's very frustrating i find yeah. it's like when somebody gets behind you it's like i can't do anything i'm just gonna get it's just gonna die i can't, you can't like, shake him yeah, mm-hmm. well, you have crummy planes that can't, you know, turn tight enough. Yeah, and then that's true. Other people have, <laughs> like Dave said it best. That's why whenever I play a free-to-play game and I, I die, I just say, this is pay to win. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when I was waiting for that to install, I was like, you know what? I'm going to play Wolfenstein some more. Oh, so yeah. I, I did throw some Yay. time into the to New Order, and I got uh, I got through a couple sections. I'm, I'm at uh, oh, where, you, where you meet up with the Resistance. And start running missions with them. So I had just uh, stolen the uh, the helicopters. Ah, yes, yes, yes. So I may finally finish that game at some point so I can actually plug... Well, not that they're connected, but I, I do want to finish this before I start playing uh, The Old Blood. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, they're the same character. I mean, just you know, <laughs> old, back in his, uh, his timeline, I suppose. Yeah. And, um, yeah, then I jumped into some books. I finished Tarkin on Saturday. It was, I enjoyed it overall. You know, it's good backstory into that character and he learned some more about what made him into the, the person that he is. But a lot of this book was just stuck on the same plot device. Like there's something that they're in pursuit of for a majority of this book. And it's just like, okay, they're still doing that. Yep. That's, that's still going on. Okay. And it was just like, uh, it kind of. Kind of dragged. I mean, it's like 260 pages, so it's not like a super lengthy book by any means. But 
I don't know. I liked like James Lucino also wrote Plagueis, and I really enjoyed that. So this is it was like a three for me. Not uh, kind of middle of the road. Not fantastic, but not horrible. Yeah, I guess. That... Go ahead. Uh, I was just say I, I guess what makes it good right now is <laughs> like you know from uh, watching Clone Wars and Tarkin appears that, and then now you know with him being a main focus in Rebels right now, so that, it that kind of made it a little more like it just fit for me. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel like I had that problem with Plagueis. Just like, not that they, I guess not that they got stuck on one thing, but there was just a lot of, a lot of talking and not a lot of doing. So it was just like, oh man, are they going to do anything or are they just going to talk about politics more? Yeah. But I mean, I guess that's how you learn about who that person is through mm-hmm. their actions and stuff and what they talk about. Um, now I see this book, Lords of the Sith. Is that also going to be, that's, um, the new Star Wars, like that's part of the canon now. Yeah, that's new canon. I actually picked that up today as well, so that's okay. what I'll start reading next. Yeah, that and that takes place uh between episodes three and four, and it deals like I don't know. I, I guess from what I understand, uh, Palpatine and Vader are sent on some mission somewhere and get stranded on some hostile planet. But I think it, it also there deals a lot with um. I can't remember what Jedi or what characters. There's some other characters in there that it focuses on a lot too. So it's not just about Palpatine and Vader, but okay. No, it looked, it looks pretty cool. So I was thinking about checking it out myself. Yeah. Yep. So that's next on the list. And then I might jump into like air to the Jedi and maybe some of the other ones, but, uh, time will tell. I just gotta make sure I have, uh, my slate clean for when, uh, (laughs) that book in September comes out. Um, the, the prelude to episode seven. I can't think of what the the title is off the top of my head. So anyway, it, it, is this uh, a strictly a year of star Wars uh, reading for you? Or are you going to read basically, something? Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm still trying to read game of Thrones at this time, but okay. I'm still reading. I'm just like, that's so for me, that's such a slow burn. It is. I think I've read like three or four books in the time it's taken me to read like a book and a half. I'm I'm on the fourth book right now in Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's yeah, it's because they're long. Uh, I mean, they're definitely long books. And if you get to the fourth book, that's the hardest one to read because basically he just took all the crappy stories from the the timelines you want to read and he puts (laughs) it into one book and cuts out all the the Game of Dragons stories and waits, you know, six years before he releases those for us. And so yeah, I, I understand. Yeah, but but yeah, it's uh, I I can understand. I, it, it's just because there's a lot of it's just a lot of pages, right? There's a lot of content. But for me, the the Game of Thrones book, the the Song of Ice and Fire, those went by uh, very quickly, chapter by chapter, because the chapters are so short. By point of view, you know, you move from one point of view to another. It seemed like I could easily bust through, you know, four or five point of views in in one sitting. And that's what I enjoy about George R. R. Martin's writing is that he it does seem to 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 move along pretty quickly. But but yeah, when you get to the book four, I'm sorry, you're it's going to be tough a tough read for you. <laughs> just to let you know. Oh man, I look forward to that. Yeah, 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 yeah all right, great, fantastic. <laughs> uh, Star Wars Aftermath, I think, is what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, that's the one. Thank you. Um, and then I I did watch. Uh, I finally got. Well, the first episode of Silicon Valley in. So ah, I, I, kinda, yeah. I, I went back and forth. I was going to watch that or Halt and Catch Fire. And then um, 
what it came down to is like, oh, Silicon Valley is only half an hour. Half episode. hour, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> well, and you've been meaning to watch that for a little yeah, bit longer. I, I enjoyed it, but I felt like that first episode doesn't really like introduce you to the characters all that no, well. And I no. felt like I'm like it, at first I was like, did I hit the wrong episode? I feel like I'm supposed to know like more about these people, or if, like the, the show assumes I already know who they are and what's going on. But um, it was all right. I didn't like. I didn't find it to be. Like overly funny or anything, or I don't know. It, I get, I was a little let down for what I had, like what my preconceived notions were going into it. But I mean, I'll, I'll definitely keep watching it. But it, okay, it it builds. So the I agree with what you said with the first episode. When I first watched it, I was like, "What the hell is this?" And then next week, I said, "Well, I'll keep giving it a shot." And then as it builds up, you start to gain in a little bit more. In, you know, get involved with the characters. You understand what each character is doing, and uh, it's just the, the it's the small things that these that goes on, and and that's what's so funny about this show. And if you don't pick up on the nuances of of their of what's going on around them, and and understand what they're trying to ping off of, yeah, you you could get lost. But my, you know, I love it because I understand. I mean, I I just get all the little jokes, and I just. It just makes me, you know, laugh inside. I my wife watches it along with me, even though she doesn't necessarily get all the ins and outs of what they're trying. You know, the 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 jokes. She still has a good time, even in the second season now. So, give it a couple of episodes. If it doesn't grow okay. on you, then then maybe you should drop it. But it, I think you might, you know, you might be able to get more out of it the more you you watch. And Lucas, how much have you watched of this? Have you watched quite a few or? Of Silicon Valley? Yeah. I haven't seen any of it, actually. Oh, none of it. Oh, no. okay. I actually am probably going to switch to that now that I've watched Halt and Catch Fire. So I feel like I think Jason and I are going to do like the opposites. The sure. opposites, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. They're, they're co- two complete different shows. Just keep that in mind. Yeah. Uh, th- this one has, <laughs> is, has a little more comedy in it, yeah. I would assume. Yeah. There, there's okay. a lot, lot of it's. I mean, I laugh my ass off every week. Uh, but again, it's because I understand. I mean, I kind of understand the the you know what's going on. It's it's based off of the the Googles and the different technology startups and stuff that's gone on in the '90s and into the 2000s. Mm-hmm. That you know, it's playing off of all those things, and and that's just it, you know, I get it, and it makes me laugh, and I just have a, a fun time watching them go through their antics of of making mistakes you know, from one episode to another. That's the whole thing is you just, you laugh at their, at their mistakes and you want them, you want them to succeed, but you, you keep, you know, seeing them make these blunders that just make you go, Oh my gosh, you, you know, what are you going to do next? And you just want to see what happens in the next episode. Okay. Yeah. I'll give it a shot for sure. Yeah. So, so, Hey, okay. Now let's get on to this Mad Max Fury Road. I've been waiting. You know, Lucas started it. Now I want nah, you to finish know, it, Jason. I know. Have you have you seen it, Denny? No, no, oh, I haven't. Man. Okay, so I've seen Mad Max. Still haven't seen Avengers. Need need to, rem- <laughs> need to remedy that yet. But ah, uh, oh, yeah, like I. All right, what have you? I was. Going back and thinking about this, I I still do not think I've ever watched Mad Max. Oh my gosh! And if I have, I just don't remember. I know I've seen The Road Warrior, and uh-huh. I know I've seen Thunderdome. 
Beyond Thunderdome, but I don't think I've ever watched the original. Yeah. Yeah, but, the uh, the original is fantastic, <clears throat> but it it is uh it's a lot more lower budget than even the Road Warrior was when it <laughs> was released. But it, it does build up you get to understand the the character of Mad Max. Um but you're right, it's the least of the of the the known ones back then. Now, remember, I grew up at, in that time when those were released, so I have a it's a special place in my heart just like when you guys were mentioning i don't remember when you guys were talking about the the new uh return to new york movie with uh, kurt russell oh yeah oh, yeah, yeah. was that escape uh, escape, escape from new york, from new york. yeah escape from la uh, yeah so escape from new york back in the 80s when i watched that as a as a teenager it was like the best thing ever I, I refuse to go back and watch it now because I don't want to lose, <laughs> you know, that feeling of this movie being so wonderful uh, because it did have, you know, when, I, when you're young like that, you, you look at things differently and you see that this, you know, this is a gritty movie for that time. And I, I really liked it. I, you know, I also, I enjoy Kurt Russell. Uh, Big Trouble in Little China is one of my favorite movies. I can just, I, every time that comes on, I can watch that movie because it just makes me laugh. You know, it's Kurt Russell being kind of a badass guy, right? And it's it's got a lot of you know comedy factors with all this goofy stuff going on, and I just I love <laughs> that movie. Um, so, Mad Max is similar, right? It was an Australian movie, I believe it's Australian that yeah, you know, yeah. that was yep. a low budget, didn't have anything. It wasn't until Road Warrior came out that that even anyone even pay attention to the 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 one before it, and Road Warrior. I I saw Road Warrior. When it was released in the drive-in theater, when I was, you know, I don't know what, how old I was. I was probably 10 or 11 years old. And, uh, and I just sat there while everyone else that I went with was drinking because I went with some older uh, – my babysitter actually took me uh, with her friends. And, and, you know, they were all drinking you know, because drive-ins aren't <laughs> meant for watching movies, right? Yeah. They're oh, yeah. there for drinking and partying. So I was sitting there watching the movie and just, you know, eating popcorn and having a good time. Everyone else was getting drunk around me. I didn't pay any attention. I just love seeing, uh, you know, this, this race across a desert with all this, you know, stuff going on. So for me, I have a different take on it. Now here's, I don't, uh, let me just tell you what I see about this new remake of this Mad Max movie. All I see is a bunch of pretty women in scantily dressed clothes racing down a desert with someone trying, I think, to rescue them. Is that the gist of the whole story? Uh, pretty close. Fairly <laughs> close. <laughs> yeah. I'd actually say that they did a fairly good job of while they are scantily clad, they never really get to the point. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. They never actually get to the point where you're just like, okay, I get it. They're naked and hot, whatever. <laughs> like, it actually, I don't know. It wasn't. It wasn't offensive. Let's just put okay. it that way. Okay. Um, but, I do. I do have to say those. Uh, well, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin that for people who haven't watched it. So I can't. I'm not going to mention that. So yeah, I know. I think I know what you were going to say. <laughs> I think I know what you're going to say. Um, it's funny that you mentioned that, like when you were a kid, that you liked watching the just kind of the chase and the aspect mm-hmm. of of that because that's really what this movie is when you yeah. say jace i mean yeah it's really a big 85 percent percent of it is big chase yeah okay like, like the stunts are just the fact that you know i don't think i mean yeah there's gonna be some cg here but a lot of it is stunt work and vehicles the fact that mm-hmm. they you know got these running machines to look like this and 
and they and, actually and, drive and, and yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's like I've talked about this a little bit. Um, and it for me, it was like if if there was a Borderlands movie, that's what this looked like. I mean, yeah, between the the mannerisms of the characters, you had like some of these. They're called the War Boys. This one group of uh, characters, and they're just so over the top and like crazy. You know, and they're hanging off the sides of these vehicles, and it's just, it totally had like a border, Borderlands feel, which is ironic mm-hmm. because Borderlands kind of really stole from, from Mad, know, Max. Mad Max in the first <laughs> yeah. place. But for me, like, I always like post apocalyptic settings and things like that, and I just really liked the visuals, and I loved like the, the, the aesthetics of the characters. I really like the character design. I'm really, like, I, I'm really still intrigued by the, the main bad, the main bad of the film, which is, uh, What's that? Immortan Joe. Immortan Joe. Yeah. And I, I was actually looking that up. I just read that. It looks like um, DC's Vertigo comics is actually kicking off. Um, I don't know how many issues, but it's like prequel stuff from the movie that'll kind of give some more backstory on some of the main characters. So I might, I might have to check into that. But hmm. I mean, he just looks so crazy. Like he's got that crazy bleach blonde hair. He's very pale complected, and he's got that crazy breathing that apparatus mask. with like the horse teeth mm. on it. It just did you, looks crazy. Did you horse know teeth. that? That <laughs> did you know that that was Hugh Key's buying? Well, I did once. I looked it buying, up. So yeah, the same yeah, guy that I'm, he plays one of the villains in Mad Max. He plays this guy as well. Yeah, so I think original. that's cool. How they did a little throwback there and brought him in on the. And the whole production, but yeah, I mean, it was because what? Well, I don't. What's the runtime? It's a little bit under two hours, but I mean, I was definitely entertained the entire the entire time. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think if there's any kind of uh, sections that I just were kind of like, eh, but not not so much that I can think of. The it, ending. It, Go ahead, Luke. Oh, I was just gonna say, if there were, they didn't last long enough for me to remember them after they already like you know what I mean like. When they stop, because they do have to stop every once in a while, it doesn't last long enough for it to overstay, and you're just like, "Come on, get with the get back to the road already." Yeah, so. I don't, I don't know. I was really happy with it. I mean, I, I going into it, I expected like everyone. It seemed to have pretty positive rapport from what I saw on on the web and everything. So I was just looking forward to an entertaining ride, and that's what it delivered. You know, it was just a fun oh. action movie. And and again, I will say our streak of whenever. Usually whenever Lucas and I go to a theater separately, it's bad. But if we go to a movie together, you know that we're going to have some weird (laughs) a-holes in the theater to ruin the experience. And it wasn't bad, but, like, all of a sudden we look over and there was this this group there. A, they had, like, I would say an infant under the age of one. Oh, my goodness. Questionable. And then did, was there another small child in there too? Besides that, I think so, just, but they weren't they weren't making as much noise though. But they, I think they were like eight or ten or I'm, something. I don't know who am I to judge, but this is probably not the type of movie I'm going to bring my child to. <laughs> it's rated R. I mean, <laughs> I can understand fifteen or fourteen. Yeah, but. yeah. I mean, language wasn't horrible, but I mean, there's a lot of violence. I mean, there wasn't any nudity or anything like that. But I mean, there's some gore in there, and uh. this is. <laughs> oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and it was probably loud, right? It, I mean, it oh, wasn't yeah. A, 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 yeah. That's why the kid was crying anytime the bass <laughs> would go by or yeah. you know go off. I would say t- the best way to describe this movie to me, it's like they made a graphic novel run that was like the middle, like the height of the Mad Max series, and this is the movie based off from the graphic novel. It kind of plops you down in the middle of the world. 
It assumes that you know at least enough to get by, and then it doesn't stop to give you any like expo- exposition about who Mad Max is or anything like that. It just you get a little bit of who he is for at the beginning, and then it goes. So I appreciated that because I don't need people standing around talking about why things are the way that they are. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. I'll get. I'll pick that up off from the rest of the world or or whatever. So. All right. Well, I'm glad that you guys, it sounds like to me that you guys both enjoyed this movie and it was fun and that you felt like it was worth your money to see it at oh, the yeah. theater. Mm-hmm. All right. I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to see it anywhere else, but the theater, something like that, where it's just big and actiony and, and larger than life. You know, I feel like you kind of need to see it in the theater like Godzilla. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see Godzilla in the theater cause it's big. It's, it's loud. It's, it's the reason why you go to the movie theater, just like Avengers. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I recommend it. Jason, yeah. do you right. recommend it? I recommend it. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. It's your time to shine, Denny. It's your okay. Time to shine. Okay. Well, unlike Lucas, I really do have a short uh, What You're Playing segment. <laughs> I, I, I will try to keep it there. And, and already, I've, I've probably already said too much. But uh, as far as game playing, um, in the last four weeks, I haven't been, I haven't even really turned my PlayStation four, which is my main gaming machine on except for the watch uh, Netflix. Uh, <laughs> I've been, I've been playing the shadows of Mordor game, just like you, Lucas, you actually think, I can't believe you, you made it through it. I have to applaud you. Yeah. Uh, I, I love the game, but I'm, I've put in over 40 hours. I don't even, I, I don't remember how much I put in over 40 for sure. Maybe even 60, and I'm at the last, I think I'm at the last push. I've got all the artifacts and all the, you know, the extra stuff. I'm just trying to get finished with the story. But what pisses me off about this game so much <laughs> is that every time I go and I kill like all these captains to get ready to go kill the war chiefs, it seems like they just keep spawning more crap for me to go and kill. Mm-hmm. And it, mm-hmm. it really pisses me off. I'm so frustrated that I, I just gave up on it. And I how haven't many, finished it yet. How many times have you gotten in a fight with one war chief or something and then had another one show up out of nowhere yeah. or whatever? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, I even got smart where I would go and I'd scout and I'd kill all the other chiefs like secretly as I was getting into the compound thinking, OK, I got them all. And then all of a sudden another damn war chief would show up <laughs> out of nowhere and and I would just about have him killed. And in some Archer guy would shoot me in the back and kill me. And I'm as I'm trying to do my my quick time routine to get my second life going again. Mm-hmm. I would end up. I'd actually I'd actually hit the right key, but it would say, "Nope, you're dead." And I would end <laughs> up dying. And I it, it pisses me off. I the game is fantastic. I love it. I don't like the fact that you know it just frustrates me. It's a frustrating game that I feel like I don't want to grind through it to get to the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've put in enough hours where I've just kind of had to back off of it. So I haven't touched it in four weeks because I just didn't want to uh, deal with it anymore. I, but, I did the same thing. I, I backed okay. off of it for two. So Okay. Okay. So I don't feel so bad. I, I, but I did – when I heard that you finished it, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's great. I'm, I'm, I am truly glad, happy for you that you were able to finish <laughs> it to completion. Uh, but I also have a Vita. So – you can see there's a trend. I enjoy my Sony products. Not that I didn't enjoy my Xbox products back in the day, but um, but I've gravitated towards Sony because I just have fun with those products. And 
I bought a Vita day one, and I've actually absolutely loved this little handheld. I know you guys don't don't play handhelds, uh, and I understand why. But uh, for me, this Vita is my uh, pick up and and go type thing. I travel quite a bit for work, so it allows me to take my gaming with me as I go without having to worry about, you know, taking a laptop or a, a console, like a real full-size console. I can take this handheld console with me and have fun. So, the, I, you know, I've, I haven't been bored with this console since I've owned it. In the beginning, there was a little bit of uh, lacking games, but overall, it's been a very successful console. I don't regret the purchase at all. The problem is now... I have one of the first generation ones. Well, they released the second generation, and when they released the second generation, whatever they call it, the Vita Lite, or I don't know what they call it, the new one with the different screen, uh, they released it with this great game called Borderlands 2 for the Vita. And I don't know if only on the, the new handheld they don't have problems, but on my handheld, this freaking game locks up the whole console uh, oh, no. constantly. And... um I'm, you know, I'm playing through and, and I've, I've, I've gone and looked for help and people say the only solution is to go slow. You know what? You can go as slow as you want to the menus or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's going to, when it locks up, it's going to lock up on you no matter what. And you have to, you have to power reset your, your Vita. And when you do that, it's a hit or miss of where, you know, how Borderlands saves your game, right? Yeah. It saves it certain place, but some of these right. missions, they're, you know, they have save points, but when you restart it from the scratch, it starts you back at the travel point, not the the checkpoint where you left off. And literally, you have to go, th- you know, I had killed the main boss, whatever it might be at the time, and was heading back to, to turn in my thing, and, I, and my thing locked up. Three times in this one mission, the mission oh. when you're at the wildlife preserve or the wild whatever, where you go kill the blood wing thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, it was the fourth time that I got through. I luckily, right before it locked up the fourth time, the fourth, I'm telling you, the fourth time that I went and completed this mission before I could get a save point, I luckily dropped off a cliff right at a save point. It locked up, and I was able to start with not having to redo that whole mission again. That is how bad of a port that this game is. Now, don't get me wrong. This game is perfect for the handheld. I absolutely love it when it works. The problem is, is I never know when my progress is going to have to be repeated. And I re- I swear I must have played at least five to six hours of time over again to repeat missions. And it, it's very, very frustrating. So, uh, you know, I just wanted to give that little two cents out is, is hey, uh, it's, a, it's a great game. Uh, I just wish that... Uh, Gearbox, right? Makes that. Who yeah. makes? Yep. Yeah, yep. Gearbox would revisit, find out what's going on with these reads that are going off, and fix it for my older Vita. I don't think it's happening on the newer Vitas, but the older ones are definitely having an issue. And uh, because literally, every no matter what I do, I can I can shut down after every play and then start it back up. It doesn't matter. I could be playing for five minutes, and if I do something just right, it'll lock the damn thing up and. That's very, very frustrating. So, um, yeah, yeah, so I just, I'm pleading the gearbox, fix it. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, that sounds pretty game breaking. I, I probably yeah. would have thrown that thing. Yeah. Not yeah. that well, it's the Vita's fault, but. No, but, and exactly, Lucas, that is, I, one day when I had 
I just got die, you know, I finished that mission and I it froze, so I did it again. When it froze the second time in the same day, finishing the same mission, I literally was just, I mean, moments away from throwing that Vita through my window. I mean, that was how frustrating I was. I bet you squeezed it pretty hard, though. Oh, I, oh, I did, I did, and and I, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I try not to cuss. Uh, you know, very often, but, um, my, my wife heard some choice words out of my mouth, uh, that morning when I just, when I was so pissed that I just couldn't control myself. So, uh, but the game that uh, is not even out yet, I think it comes out tonight. Maybe some people already have it. The one game that, that I'm looking forward to playing this next week is the Witcher three wild hunt. And yeah. you'll be able to play that for the next year. Probably. Yes. Yes. And, the, a background on me that my favorite type of game is the RPG. Why? Because I love to get myself involved in a character, get involved in a storyline, uh, you know, go in and try to, you know, raise my stats up and, and get, you know, get special things and get through these quests. And I, I love that. And I literally put hundreds of hours into role-playing games. The Dragon Age Inquisition, I think I put 130 hours in one playthrough. Uh, one one character, 130 hours, finished it to completion. Uh, there's a few things I didn't get done in the first playthrough because I didn't know that, you know, there were certain storylines I, I could have taken here or there, but mm-hmm. love the game. I know that, that uh, Lucas, you're still getting through that or did you finish that one finally? Oh, no, but, I'm still going through it. Okay. I, I got to pick it back up. It's one of those things where I'm like, if I pick this back up, I got to be willing to, to get through another large chunk. I don't want to yeah, just like yeah. go here and there, play once a week and forget what I did the last time I played. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, it, it's a great game. I loved it. Now it has its faults. You know, there's some things that could be better. It's not perfect, but I, it, I mean, for me, and that was one, I don't pick up games usually day one. I am a frugal gamer. I will wait until that thing goes on sale and then I'll buy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I literally only buy a few games, uh, full price. Now I happen to get, this game, I you know I I don't know how I I got it. I don't know if I got it day one or not. I think I did get it day one, so I think I paid full price for this one. The other f- full price game I I got was Destiny, which was uh, I played the alpha, loved it. Played the beta, loved it. Was all into this game until I got the game and got to level twenty, <laughs> and it took me twenty hours to get from level twenty to twenty one because I wasn't getting any drops, and I hate games that relied on that. That took me out of the game and pissed me off, and I never went back after that. I said, you know, I, I, well, I played a little bit longer, but I realized that this game is, is not what, you know, I really appreciate. I appreciate games that well, reward you for your gameplay, not make you, you know, go and, and, and work Grind your, it out. Yeah, grind it out. I don't like grindy games like that that don't have any benefit. If 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 it wouldn't have been that way, I would have I probably still be playing Destiny because the gameplay is actually really good. It's just that the leveling system sucks, and so <laughs> I, I basically haven't played it for months now. Where you know all my other friends are you know they're addicted to it. So that's the other game I played full price. This would be the first game since then that I bought where I uh, I'm going to pay full price. And why? Because this game is going to give me, you know, if I play for 120 hours, it's going to cost me $2. Wait, is that right? No, 50 cents an hour. You see, I'm doing math. I told Lucas, I told you, I can't yes. do I, I can't do math in real time. You're falling uh, into that trap. Yeah, yeah. 50 cents an hour, which is 
well worth it for me to be able to invest that much time. And that's that's why this game is is one that I'm willing to pay full price for and not wait till it goes on sale because I know that I'm going to get enjoyment. I've played the other Witcher games. I've enjoyed them. I haven't I have never completed one because they're so damn long, but you know what? This one may be my first Witcher game I actually, you know, try to play to completion. But to me it's not important getting to the end game. My whole thing is 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 a journey of of the game from day to day and and quest to quest and I I can play a game and never reach the end and still get satisfaction because I just had so much fun just, you know, you know, running around in the open world type uh, environment. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's why this will be my, my game that I'll be playing uh, this week. And I might get right back into, into the gaming since I've kind of been on a four week hiatus, except for my borderlands on my Vita. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, that, now if that's all over, I didn't mean to drag onto that. Um, <laughs> no um, worries. I, yeah. The last episode, I was very excited to hear Lucas that you were watching uh, halt and catch fire. Yes. Uh, have you? Have you? Have you? You actually were able to complete that. I don't want. I don't want to do any spoilers for anyone. But w- did you actually complete that uh, series this week? Yep. Yep. I watched the the last episode. I think I had the last episode to go. When okay. We recorded on Tuesday, and then I watched one or two, and then I watched the rest of them. So I'm done with season one. Okay. Yeah. And season two is getting ready to start on AMC. If you happen to have cable, you can. It's getting ready to start. I, I think. don't. This, oh, okay. Um, wow. I remember seeing a preview for this last year and I never set my DVR to record it. I was so disappointed. I was like, okay, I'll just wait for it to come on Netflix. And then when it came on, uh, I started watching it and man, it's a fantastic drama about that golden age of the PC and how this, and what's interesting about this story is that it's not fact but it's based off of things that were going on at that time where many companies were trying to do exactly what this fictional company was trying to do. They were trying to break the code and create these IBM clone computers so that they can bring something else to the market and, and go against the big blue monopoly of, you know, of, of IBM. Mm-hmm. Uh, the acting, phenomenal uh, jobs done by all the actors. The story is just catch, keeps you on the edge of your seat, wanting to see what's going to happen in the next episode. My, and the, the biggest uh, thing I can say about it is that it even caught my wife's interest, who is not a techie, who doesn't really you know pay attention to that kind of stuff. But she was so interested to see what was going to happen next to these characters, how they were going to twist this, or what was going to go wrong in the story, that it really grabbed her and wanted her to finish it to the completion uh, of the series, and uh, I have to say that was that's probably the best of of my week or last two weeks is just watching uh, that that series, and I'm just excited for the next uh, season two. And I, I just wanted to say, hey, Jason, uh, <laughs> watch the show. Uh, I think you're gonna enjoy it. And uh, if if you don't get enjoyment out of Silicon Valley right away, put that off to the side and go and and watch this show because. It's, uh, it really right, is a, right. a good show. That's two sterling recommendations for Alton Catchfire. Yeah. yeah. Blah, 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 blah. There, there, <laughs> there was there was one movie we watched uh, that I, w- I, I was caught by surprise. And I don't remember if you guys talked about it or not or if it was another podcast. Have you guys seen The, the Parallels? I've seen it. Well, I've, I've had it in my queue and I've seen it popped up. And I've been meaning to tell Lucas I thought we should add it to a future. Okay, don't add it. 
Oh. Uh, not Ooh. because it's not because it's bad. It's actually really good. But because I was caught off, I w- at first when I added it, I thought it was a series. But then when I started watching, I saw that it was an hour and a half movie, and I thought, okay, uh, it's gonna it's gonna start and it's gonna complete, and let's see where it goes. I enjoyed the story. I wanted to see where it was going to go. And then all of a sudden at the end, uh, we get left with no conclusion. It's like, it's like a pilot episode of what they want to make into either a miniseries or a, uh, a Netflix series, like a, you know, like a, uh, house of cards or whatever. So mm. it's like, it's like a, it's like a promo and it's, and it's actually really, I really liked it. My wife really liked it. We were both very, pissed off that it it's it's done right we don't have there's no nothing right now is in the works of being made into a miniseries or made into another movie it's all in talks that that this might be made into something bigger uh so if you if you're okay with that if you're okay with a with a non-concluding uh it just goes right into like something else is supposed to happen right after this next scene but it doesn't then go ahead and watch it. And uh, I'll be curious to hear your guys' input on it. And I hope that it, it does get picked up by Netflix and, and is made into a miniseries or at least another movie. They do a couple, you know, hour and a half movies to, to, you know, fulfill the story. Like a miniseries. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's really good. Sci-fi. It's talking about parallel earths and, uh, it's, I, I, I mean, I'm intrigued. It's, it caught my interest. It was done, uh, you know, it wasn't too cheesy. It was done well. Uh, it, it was done by mm. Fox Digital Studios, which I guess is a studio that primarily does things for internet or direct-to-DVD type. I don't know. I think it's internet type uh, shows. And I think that this guy that, uh, and I can't remember the name of the director that, that or the creator of this, but he, he did it uh, as a way of, of trying to promote this this story and get uh, other you know maybe get netflix or another digital producer to to go ahead and re- and make it into a a longer series so uh, i just wanted to warn you guys that if you do watch it just keep in mind it, there's no conclusion <laughs> <laughs> well uh, i guess if i'm warned at, warned ahead of time then at least i know it's coming and i won't be pressed yeah fallen. yeah uh, it's uh, it's pretty good there's another it's there's another show that was a series called something room, the back room or the front room, or I don't know, something like that. That's this guy's done that people like, but I think it also did the same thing. It had so many episodes and then stopped and maybe people, you know, want more don't of that. Trust him now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Going into more TV shows very quickly. I'm, you know, right now we're in the peak of game of Thrones on HBO, Silicon Valley and veep. They're all got their start and they're all, Hitting on all cylinders. I like all those shows. I love HBO shows. I subscribe to HBO just because I love their their series. Uh, it's a lot of money for me to pay out, but uh, for us to be able to watch them when they get released is is worth it for us. So so we splurge a little bit on that. Uh, other shows that we that just came to conclusion that my wife and I thoroughly enjoy uh, a few superhero shows that uh, you know yeah. I'm not a big superhero fan. But I'll tell you, I love the I well, I love a couple of these. So I, uh, Gotham. You know, I know you guys have talked about Gotham in the past. Uh, you know, different people have come on and talked about. It. I don't, I don't remember if you guys actually enjoy it or not. But I, uh, I went into this show thinking I don't care about uh, 
you know, Batman as a kid or this, or, you know, and I'm just, I love this story. Uh, I, I, they do such a well, a good job of, of, of showing these characters, how they began as young, uh, you know, in, in their infancy and how they blossomed into criminals and, and also some superheroes, you know, like, uh, Gordon, Jim Gordon, right? He's, you know, the commissioner, of course, he's the goody shoe shoes. And then we have Bruce Wayne who turns into Batman. So of course there's some good part, but they're, you know, it's their story, but there's also, I think the best part of it is seeing how all these villains are fleshed out of their back, their background stories. And it's done in such an interesting environment, in my opinion. And I'm not a comic book movie show kind of guy. I've been burnt too many times by, you know, by the genre put into into film and TV that I just kind of, yeah. But this one really, I really enjoyed. I was surprised, really enjoyed it. Of course, the other one in the DC realm that I, I think you guys mentioned on a previous show, I, again, when I watch all those, listen to all those shows back to back, it's kind of hard to take them from one to another. But I know you guys mentioned that, uh, like the Arrow and the Flash, that, oh, wait, or is it some other podcast? Maybe it was another podcast. I can't remember, but how those those two really kind of gel together, but then you have Gotham as kind of as an outlier between the, the stories. Um, I was really hesitant on the flash. I thought this is cheesy. It's going to be goofy, but I'll tell you what, if I had to pick between the arrow and the flash, as far as a story, I want to keep or show. I want to keep watching flash has won me over. Why? Because flash. Yeah. There's some cheesy moments, but it's not a soap opera type thing. There's not this big overarching love story you know what? You can throw some love in there once in a while, but I don't want the whole thing based on drama, love, <laughs> this, you know, all that. Yeah, I yeah, like it. Yeah. It gets old, and that's what the Arrow does. The Arrow in this last season three, um, and maybe it follows comic book stories. I don't know, but I, I thought that the whole storyline this season really was was not my thing. It, it kind of went off of what the – of what I wanted to see with the era. I wanted to see more, you know, more superhero stuff, not this backstory, but the flash, I felt that the first season of the flash really fleshed out the character, fleshed out all the surrounding supporting characters, all the extra superheroes, you know, quote using quotes there. And I really began to feel, you know, like I was involved in this universe and I really enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to season two. Now, season two may totally suck. So uh, and that's always a, a point. But I just want to say that I I really enjoyed all those three superhero shows. And I don't know if you guys – you guys don't really talk about about watching those. you guys watch um, those? I have wanted to watch all of these. But, well, I know Arrow. I think you can on Netflix right now yeah. for season one. But uh, Gotham and Flash, the way – I have Hulu Plus. Mm-hmm. And if they're in that season, you can only watch the f- most five current episodes until oh, okay. the season's over. So now, like with Gotham, I'm like, well, I don't want to start in the middle of things. I want to start at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, so I don't. I hate that they do that. So I've I've just been patiently biding my time until the season's over, so I can get them. Okay, yeah, I'm basically in the same boat. I I did watch like the season one episode <laughs> one for uh, Arrow gosh a while while back and just mm-hmm. to try to get into it and i didn't mm-hmm. have the time to watch the rest and now it's kind of waiting like the wait and see approach for everything else like i 
want to check out Flash, but I'm going to have to wait for that to come on streaming. And then yeah. same thing with Gotham. I was going to originally jump and check it out, and then I didn't set the DVR for whatever reason, and then have to wait wait for streaming on that as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I give – now, you notice I left one thing out. I didn't talk about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or whatever that mm-hmm. thing I is. I don't think I'll ever get through that. Yeah, I, uh, my and let me preface this too that my wife is a is a one of the biggest superhero comic book. Uh, she loves all that stuff. She couldn't even get through the first season of wow. Agents of Shield. And I know that so many people have such great things that if you get to the end, now we never made it to the end. We made it halfway through, and she said, "Yeah, I can't watch this anymore either." She just wasn't <laughs> into it. And we may try to to continue to watch it. You know, now that it's, it's building up, but. It was just so boring and such like a more of a soap opera type thing, and we didn't care about it, and and the characters didn't mean anything to me, and uh, so it lost me early. And everyone I've talked to said that, yeah, this is how Josh Whedon works. He he starts you off to slow grind, but he eventually builds up. Well, you know what, Josh? Hey, learn from your damn mistakes and start off strong. Don't start off weak. I don't. Nobody wants to get hooked on something there where they where they have to, every week they have to you know, force themselves to watch it. And yeah, <laughs> after, after six, eight episodes, maybe it starts to get interesting. You start to pull yourself in, or maybe at the end of a 20, you know, 20 week series, you're actually like, Oh yeah, this is good now. No, that's not the way to do a series. You need to, to give them something early on. You don't need to, to flesh it all out early on, but you need to give them something to keep them wanting more. So I just want to say that agent of the shield may be a great series, but because of the way that it was presented to the general person, a lot of people aren't going to stick through it until it becomes something that's you know blown up into something bigger. And maybe now it is, but uh, again, it hasn't. We haven't gone back. Even now, it's on Netflix. We haven't gone and started watching it because we. It just doesn't. It's not high on our list. We, there's other things that are better to watch. So that's our opinion. Hmm. Uh, uh, it just seemed kind of campy. For me, yeah, it definitely is campy. I was gonna say you're not wrong on most of what you said. <laughs> I, I find it, I find it more of a guilty pleasure for most people. Yeah, uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, I know a lot yeah. of people who've who've watched that and said it was great, but I found it to be too campy for me to to enjoy. So I yeah. think what what gives me a, a pass for it is just like I already know the characters or, you know, like I'm used to them and and uh, I gave it a chance and I stuck. I, I Like you said, it does take a long time before you can really get into it. And mm-hmm. no matter how many episodes you give it, it's always going to be kind of campy. So, yeah, if yeah. you don't like the campiness, then it's probably not going to work for you. Yeah. So. Yeah. OK. And then the last TV show that we that just came to conclusion that we really enjoy is is a blacklist and man uh i haven't been disappointed yet in that uh show um ended I've heard well. a lot of good things about that yeah uh, james spader is incredible the in fact all the the characters are are really done well the i mean if you enjoy watching character development and stuff i mean there's there's probably some loopholes here and there we found some thing mistakes that were made but uh, it's it's still a fun ride. Uh, gets you involved right away. You look forward to each episode. You want to see what's going to happen. You want to see how they're going to twist this and that. It's it's done in a in a very good way. Um, that that is fun to watch. So that's the key. It's fun. You want to enjoy what you're watching. And uh, I thought that it ended on a high note. Uh, good season. 
Uh, Again, just so I don't carry on, uh, I I am reading a book. I'm reading a book that was recommended. I already had it in my possession. I just wasn't reading it until you, Jason, you and uh, Dave Robopig were talking about uh, books on Twitter. In fact, one of the books that I really enjoyed reading was uh, Daniel Suarez's uh, Damon or Demon. Yeah, and, I'll uh, jump into that one. After yeah, very, some very Star good. Wars. Yeah, very, very good book. I really enjoyed it, and it's uh, the follow-up to it, the conclusion, the freedom, uh, done very well. So I thought, you know what? You, Dave said he read this thing like three times or more. I don't, I don't remember how many times he said he read it, but read it quite a bit. I said I got to give this a shot. So I started reading. I'm in the first couple chapters of Ready Player One. Uh, a little bit of a slow start. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that it's going to pick up and catch my interest because uh, if it doesn't catch me within the first hundred pages, I typically will uh, put it down and move on to another book. So, uh, have you started reading that, Jason? Or oh yeah, I've read it. Uh, gosh, when did I read that? Um, last probably around this time last year. Okay, I think. And I kind of, I kind of remember it. It was a little bit of a slow start i think for me as well mm-hmm. um but i think for you once you get into it because it's going to pull it's going to pull so many references of things you grew up with that uh-huh. it's it's going to be all you need to carry you through it yeah i mean it yeah. pulls so much from like the late the 70s and 80s yeah i mean and all the like the video games and pulp pop culture that mm-hmm. it pulls from i mean yeah you'll love it okay yeah that that's what i already see in the beginning i i love all those little you know footnotes they put in there right that says this uh, little scene is based off of this, uh, you know, this thing in this show or this movie or this game. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying those little footnotes that bring back memories of, of my youth. So I, I'm going to stick through it. I just wanted to, uh, I am reading that and uh, yeah. And I, and I just wanted to reiterate Jason that, that the, that demon book is, is very good. I think uh, it, it's kind of similar to, to, to this uh, Ready Player One, it's not the same same story, but it's a similar thing where where somebody dies and put things in motion, and, and you have, you know figure out what's going on. It's it's All right. it's kind of a it's a neat story. I really enjoyed it. And with my apologies, I am uh, done with my what's I'm playing. <laughs> <laughs> so fitting with this week's theme of. For Netflixation, which was you know on Atari, I had to I wanted to have a remix to you know encapsulate that, but uh, yeah, unfortunately, music wasn't very uh, <laughs> wasn't a major thing in games back then, so my my options were very limited. So uh, I ended up going with Paperboy, which was um, gosh, what was it eighty two? I think Atari turned that out in the old arcade. I don't I can't quite remember. As I wasn't even around at that, at that <laughs> point, it was wouldn't be for another year that the world would be blessed by one Jason Lacey. But I, wow. I, I think you're, I think you're right. I think you're close to the time the time wing. That was when they had the paper boy when they had that handlebar, and you'd actually jerk the thing up <laughs> to, uh, to do like to, a wheelie, to do a jump. wheelie. Yeah, I to know, do a wheelie. I, I played that, and man, it was hard. That was eighty eighty four. It's 84? Okay. Okay. Yep. So I not too it, far off. And the link here on Overclocked Remix, it shows, um, I think this was the Commodore 64 version. There's having a date of 86 for that. Oh, wow. Um, anyway, yeah. Song, the game's Paperboy. Uh, the song is, gosh, Peeper 
I don't, how do you want to pronounce that? Peeper boy? Boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Peeper boy. Yeah. By the yeah, dead but, guy. Yeah. So, hmm. Uh, it's, it's definitely an interesting uh, mix on the Paperboy theme. So hopefully everyone enjoys it. It's a trip. It's, a trip. it's got a funky
that landfill is a burial site of an entire industry. Growing up, you always read little rumors about it. The dreams of a generation buried underneath the garbage. You can hear it screaming or something, I don't know. Billions of cartridges out in the desert. The worst video game ever. E.T. for Atari. It was bad. Brutal, unfair, didn't make a lot of sense. How did a company that was so innovative fail so miserably? This is a company that made $375 million. The fastest growing company in American history. That was super exciting to be the pioneers in that field. It just blew people away. And this was what I was made to do. The word hubris comes to mind. If the quotas were met, I'd throw a kegger. Over there is where the hot tub was. These guys are the lifeblood of the business. They do what they want to do. Engineers as rock stars. DT comes out. It's a huge hit. And we want to do the cartridge. There'll be a Learjet waiting for you. Be ready to propose the game to Spielberg. It was 20 to 30 million dollars. It was some crazy number. We had to have the game out for Christmas. Typical VCS game took five or six months. And this was going to be in five weeks. Yeah, I can do that. Everybody I knew got E.T. that Christmas. People aren't liking it. One of the worst nights of my life. The train is derailing. I could be single-handedly responsible for toppling a billion-dollar industry. Useless, worthless product. How do you get rid of it? said you wanted to know where the Ataris are. Wait, this is the spot? The concern is they also may have something else buried in the landfill. We might crack open a sealed tomb of mercury-laced pigs. What's the last time you saw a line of people waiting to get into a dump? They want some kind of tangible evidence. It's like opening the Ark of the Covenant. The burial in Almogordo is Atari's funeral. This sort of felt like a religious pilgrimage to me. Is my face going to melt off? I don't know. E.T. comes out, the industry dies. That's what people will remember it for. Alright, this week's Netflixation, if you remember from last week, was a, was a little experiment of ours to do a documentary instead of a regular fiction film. Um, so, this week's Netflixation was Atari Game Over, the social and cultural documentary that Netflix described as this. Explore the demise of gaming giant Atari, along with claims that it hit its biggest flop, 1982's E.T., by burying the cartridges in the desert. Um, a fitting description. Uh, they they get a pass on that one, though so, uh, not too bad. Once again, by Netflix, there. I, th- I feel like we have a we're getting on a pretty good roll of their descriptions, um, doing pretty well. So maybe they've fired the last guy who was writing all these, and <laughs> and uh, or maybe they did, they probably just programmed a computer to like take out keywords that are always. Um, kind of paired with whatever the the movie is or whatever. So then it just puts it together its own little uh, synopsis based on an algorithm. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Who knows how Netflix works? 
But uh, we do know how this works. I do a five-sentence synopsis. But this is going to be a little bit different because it's not going to be chronological necessarily. It's going to be more about, um, well, for specifically for this movie, since it, I don't really, it kind of all happens at the same time a little bit. I don't, I can't necessarily say that this is all like this happens, then this happens, then this happens. So, uh, but let's talk about what happens in five sentences. Um, Zach Penn sets out to discover the truth behind the myths and stories about Atari in general, and specifically E.T. the game. Number two, Howard Scott Warshaw, the programmer of E.T., talks about his experiences as Atari and how creating E.T. has affected not only his life after Atari, but his credentials as a game programmer. Number three, Nolan Bushnell, uh, co-founder of Atari, and Manny Gerard, co-chief operating officer of Warner Brothers, gives their thoughts as to the downfall of Atari. Number four, Joe Lewandowski, a, a waste disposal expert and historian. Now there's a job <laughs> title. Uh, for Alamogordo, New Mexico, while not a gamer himself, also seeks to discover the truth behind the E.T. landfill myth. And finally, number five, Zach, Joe, a large showing of the gaming community, and even Howard Warshaw himself attend the dig at the landfill and discover that indeed E.T., as well as many other Atari games, had been buried in a landfill in the town of Alamogordo, which is really fun to say, by the way. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Alamogordo. It sounds like a magical spell. Um, Maybe it is. Um, So... Um, documentaries generally have a takeaway or a call to action or something of that nature. So if we ever do these again, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of put my thoughts as to what I thought the takeaway as, as in the case of this movie or the, the call to action is, uh, for each individual case for this one. Um, I felt like they're basically saying that, uh, ET wasn't really the cause of Atari. It didn't single-handedly destroy the gaming industry um, at the time. Um, Basically that everything was already going to shit and Atari was just kind of like the last, the the last straw that broke the camel's back. And um, I mean, from, from what I've read and, uh, and kind of picked up on about that era, because I mean, let's face it, this isn't the first, um, documentary about retro gaming or anything like that uh it pretty much was bound to happen one way or another so it it doesn't matter if it was a good game if it was a bad game whatever if you buy however millions of copies and expect everyone in an oversaturated market to buy that game then you're you know you're helping that along you're pretty much ruining yourself and asking for it um so I mean, what, what you you both said, uh, Denny. I know you said that you watched it, and Jason, mm-hmm. you watched it as well. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's a fairly uh, good assessment of what they were trying to get across in this film, other than obviously trying to get to the truth? Yeah, I agree. That's that's what they wanted to get out. Is there's this big giant uh, urban legend that that yeah, like you said, E.T. the worst game ever created cause the demise of Atari and it was so bad that they just wanted to bury, you know, kind of like Atari's burial funeral was to bury these games out in the desert. And that was the end. Now Atari is, is over. And, and reality is you're right. It was 
an oversaturated market. They had reached a peak, and they kept thinking they could continue to sell millions and millions of cartridges to you know people that was already saturated. And it happened to be that uh, this great programmer – I don't want to get into two spoilers, but if, if I am, you can cut this out. <laughs> oh, no, no, you're but, fine. It's already but, kind of assumed that – Okay. But this great programmer who had programmed some fantastic games in the past was tasked to do the impossible, single-handedly write, you know, create and, and code a game from start to finish – to production to out in the market in a, a short period of time, which you know a five week period. That's nuts. Nobody, nobody could do that at that time. That was unheard of. He did a miracle, and, well, and not to mention he had to present it to Steven Spielberg. Spiel- which yeah, that alone yeah. would be nerve wracking, I would think. And um, I, I actually played this game at that time. And, oh man! And it it was I I can't say it was a bad game. All I can say is a game that I just freaking couldn't figure out. That's what the game was. It wasn't that it was hard or, you know, it was bad. It was just, it was way beyond, I think, I think it was way beyond what a kid of, of my age at that time, you know, a typical per, you know kid was going to be able to focus on. Uh, it was, it was a difficult game where it had, that di- wasn't, wasn't going to walk you through it. Right. You mm-hmm. had to really focus and you really knew what to do and there were, and yeah, did did I give it a shot? No, and and I may actually still have the cartridge. In, I still have a twenty six hundred uh, with all my <laughs> nice. games. All my you know, I have my my joysticks with the with the with little uh, the the hand the rubber handles tore off because you can't play a game with those on because you wouldn't be able to get <laughs> good contact with the with the controller. I mean, I still have all that stuff, uh, and I may actually have this game. I don't know. I haven't done an inventory. I have about a hundred Atari games uh in my library Dang. i think and et may be one of them i'm now that I, you know we my wife and i have watched this documentary and i'm curious to go dig it out of my out of my garage and you know inventory what i have and and see if i do have et still i but at that, that time those things were expensive and I, a lot what we did as kids is we traded games around and so we'd we'd go over to someone's house play it and we'd trade you know, hey, I'll trade you this game for this one, and we would trade. And I, I think at one point I probably did a, a swap for a, a short-term period and played the game. Uh, and I remember that it didn't last very long. I didn't get very much, you know, very much through it because it was just a it was a, a game that I didn't understand, and it was beyond my uh, comprehension at you know the age of eleven or twelve, whatever I mm-hmm. was at that time. So, um, so yeah. I, I liked where the documentary went. I liked that it was it, it ended not on a failure of the company as far as because of a game, but of the strengths that the people that were working in the industry at that time had and the loyalty that, you know, that all the 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 people like myself that have grown up during that that time frame and I mean I I love my Atari 2600 so much, I still have it to this day. That says a lot, that someone would keep something that was a big part of their life. Uh, and so I enjoyed seeing, uh, you know, the geeks or the nerds uh, or what I like to say, the enthusiasts. You know, mm-hmm. all these people that showed up at that dump uh, to see this unbearing of this, you know, this 
historical thing. That was a, a good part of the story too. That I I thought that there's a lot of commitment. You know, even young kids that that you know this all happened 20 years before they were even born. Yet you know they still came out with their parents to uh, you know to experience that bit of history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I mean, getting into like what I liked about the movie, um, kind of touching on what you said. I already knew the outcome of the dig. I think I actually, I didn't realize that this was what they were filming when I saw the story about how they were digging that up. But I know I saw the news article Mm -hmm. that, that accompanied this at some point or a news article. So I already knew what, what was going to happen. And I think most people probably do at this point. Um, But there was enough for me with the other characters and the other people and what they had to say that I actually stayed interested in in what was happening, regardless of the fact that kind of the main draw would be uh, the unveiling of what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, so for me, like that alone kind of says, "Hey, you know, there's something here." You get invested in these people. You you start to learn the real story about what happened, as opposed to because they talk about how easy it is for everyone to just kind of latch on to. To the easy explanation where it's just like, oh, yeah, E.T., it was so bad they had to bury them all, you know, and you forget there's a there's a person behind that that actually made that game. And I mean, they don't talk about how they don't come out and say it ruined his life for a little while, but it kind of did the fact that everything kind of went the way it went. And then just to kind of be constantly reminded that people think that you're the reason why the game industry crashed for for a little while is kind of uh it, it kind of uh you know watching this gives you a little bit of um heart towards that guy and you're just like oh man i feel right. bad for that guy kind of mm-hmm. um the other I, thing i think i found the the part the segments with him to be some of the most interesting parts of the yeah, that documentary yeah. actually Definitely. yeah i agree i mean i've seen other documentaries that have um bushnell in it and um the other i think the other co-founder or some other people who work at atari and sometimes it kind of just feels like hey working at atari was great man we had everything that we wanted and we lived like rock stars or or whatever mm-hmm. and there was a little bit of that here too but um it wasn't as much uh what do you say glad handing or, or or whatever making it all just sound great but but that happens with like anytime you see a documentary about apple or microsoft or or whatever you know nobody wants to you can't really get out and talk about the nitty gritty of things or you make enemies or whatever. Um, the other thing I liked about this was that uh, it told the story from multiple, multiple perspectives. Mm-hmm. It didn't just like sit down with um, the guy who's trying to figure out the, the um, truth behind the myth and the programmer and just go from there. You know, they actually got people from Atari and they got the guy from Warner brothers that owned Atari at the time. And, Game journalists and even the guy who wrote uh, you were talking about uh, Ready Player One, Ernest Klein. Yeah, yeah. Klein, I can't remember. Klein or yeah. Klein. Uh, got him on it as well. And I didn't know that he drove a DeLorean, but that's pretty freaking <laughs> sweet. Which apparently he lo- loaned to George R. Martin. George R. R. Martin, yeah. <laughs> it's what a weird license, world. And his license plate says Anorak on, the, uh, on it. Yes, yes it does. <laughs> So, I mean, and, and that just goes to show you like that whole community kind of, it's one thing when you read about it on the internet, but when it's actually happening, like the people, the feelings behind all of this, they really 
come to the forefront when they come out and you know there's there's some people who are just ah oh, they're digging a big hole and I wanted to see it but for the <laughs> for the most part you know people didn't stand in that sandstorm because they didn't care they they wanted to see what really was up there and they uh they uh I'd say they cared they they wanted to know the truth and that that's always a good thing I think mm-hmm. um from technical aspect it looks good it sounds good it does ex- exactly what you would expect it to do I thought it was the perfect length yeah. um it really you know just over an hour was great for this. I find a lot of documentaries that are around an hour do the best. So for me personally, I didn't have a lot that I, I I didn't really have anything I disliked about it. Um, nothing that wouldn't be nitpicking or, or whatever. Um, I found the music out of everything probably to be the most odd sometimes. I mean, sometimes it was okay. Sometimes it was, just weird. I don't know. It, that, that's one of those nitpicky things that I'm not really going to mark it down for in this case. Um, so I guess the, the ultimate question, of course, what is was it entertaining? And also, was it informative? I mean, it is a documentary after all, so it should probably inform you about whatever the subject is. And I would say yes on both accounts. Um, it does a good job of um, not being so in-depth about technical stuff of gaming that you can't just watch it from a pop culture standpoint. And um, it really does a good job of just filling you in about, it doesn't assume that you know anything. It it tells you what's going on. So you could even watch this from a business standpoint or or whatever. Um, So there's something to be learned for just about anybody from here. Uh, Netflix's guess for me was a five and I see it was a 4.8 for you, Jason. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to give it a 3.5. Not to say that I didn't like it. I just think that, um, one, I already know that I'm biased towards it. I'm going to like it, of course, because I'm, I'm a gamer. I like retro gaming stuff. So, um, But it didn't really go out of its way to do anything over and above any other documentary that I've seen. It, it is a very solid documentary. It, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's put together well. It's edited well. It has great pacing, and it's a good watch. So. I would definitely recommend watching it if you're interested in in um retro gaming, Atari, um hell, even the eighties. So uh Jason, what would you give this? Um, you know, I ended up giving it a four. Um okay. I didn't really know much about like the history of Atari going into this, so I found that to be rather informative. Um those are some of the things I like a lot the most about actually were you know, talking about how the company was started and the crazy growth they experienced and what the culture was like there. And it made me really want to um, watch some other similar themed uh, movies or documentaries. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of I kind of wish like the, I was perfectly happy with the runtime, but it left me wanting a little bit more. I wish some of the parts could have been expanding on, expanded on a little further. So yeah. I think I would have been happy if it got a little closer to like an hour and a half sweet spot. But um it was still. It was kind of nice to have it, everything there, and because it was what just it was wasn't an hour. It was just over. I think an it hour. was like sixty six minutes, but that's with credits too. Yeah. So. But I mean, I still enjoyed it, and um, yeah, I think I even had Jess watching the, the tail end of it there with me. Oh, she nice. was like, "Did they find anything? Did they find it?" I'm like, "I'm not going to tell you that." Yeah. I'm like, "She's like, do you know?" I go, "Yeah, I know what happened." <laughs> I think. On. I think I had to remind myself a few times that this was. Uh, even though it's called Atari Game Over, it really is specifically about that ET thing. Like I, I wasn't 
I was trying not to expect to know more about Atari other than from like that one guy's perspective. Cause mm. I think there's already, I think there is a documentary somewhere about Atari itself. So I think that's part of the reason why they didn't delve too deep into that. Okay. That, uh, and also I believe if I, I was looking this up, I think it was made for a documentary series and that's why it's the length that it is. Oh, okay. I, I don't know that for sure, but I saw something on there that, that made it seem like it was made for a documentary series. Well, that uh, would make sense then. And then, Denny, what, I got to get your patented Netflixation star rating on this. Oh, my gosh. Well, you, if, you listen, if you listen to the sh- to our beer podcast, we don't actually <laughs> do uh, numbered ratings uh, because we don't, you know, Everyone's got their own perception on numbers, but because Netflix does have a rating, I can use the Netflix rating system. (laughs) So um, I personally love documentaries. I watch a ton of documentaries. Uh, As far as uh, as my grade of what I I just I gave it a a three because I liked what I what I saw. I didn't think it was anything extra special. Mm -hmm. Um, It was actually better than I anticipated because I did not care about literally, you know, necessarily the ET burial thing. Um, I did, but I found that I did enjoy uh, what I did enjoy about this documentary is I did get a little bit of that background history of leading up to that point where they reached, you know, the company itself reached its climax, how it got there, you know, the whole story. And so that aspect I did enjoy and I ended up enjoying overall the the show and I agree with you, Lucas, that the number one thing that I that I uh, appreciate the most was to hear from the programmer himself, Howard War- Warsack. Warshaw. War- Warshaw. Um, I thought his – the stuff he had to say was the most powerful, especially when he was talking about how it took him you know, nearly 30, you know, 20-some years to reach the same level of happiness in what he was doing after he – uh, was done with Atari. Yeah. He went in and out of multiple jobs, never happy. It wasn't until he found his his other love of of helping people in a in a social uh, services type way. I guess he's like mm-hmm. a counselor or a therapist. Yep. And I, that was moving. Is that that is completely the opposite of what he was in the eighties to what he is now. He's completely did. A, a turnaround to where he was very self-centered, you know, all about himself, ego-driven. You know, you, you could tell that a lot of what was going on at that time is like, hey, I can't go wrong, right? I'm on top of the world. I can program. Right. I can do this. Yeah. And, then, and then it crashed. And then when he crashed, obviously it took him a long time before he was able to find himself again and found, find out what he was truly meant to do in the world. And now I, I, I believe he's, he was at peace. And I'm hoping that this documentary didn't stir up emotions that he had already put the rest, and he still is at peace because that would be. Uh, I mean, you could tell at the end of the when when they actually dug up the stuff that he was getting a little choked up because it did bring up, you know, quite a bit of of memories of that time and that that maybe he was trying to keep you know under wraps. Uh, mm-hmm. So so by far he was the most powerful. I also enjoyed the CEO uh, Manny Gerard. Uh, his his comments were very enlightening. You know, he was strictly business, right? Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he was the guy who was talking business. Everyone, you know, the other things were talking about the fun and the game and and living the high life of this fastest 
uh, revenue creating, you know, company. Uh, and he was, you know, he was the business guy that, that and, and he admits himself that, hey, it was just the timing of this ET game that, you know, they overextended themselves. It was already at the peak and it was just, yeah, that just didn't help things and things just started tumbling and it was a, it was by chance. So, uh, yeah, I gave it a three. I didn't mean to drag on. I told you that once I start talking, I just start rambling on. But uh, I, I gave it a, I gave it a solid three for I, I liked it. I think that's what Netflix says. If you yeah. give it a three, you like it. And I liked it. Well, there you go. Pretty, pretty, pretty big sampling. Uh, three, three point five and a four. So, I mean, I think we all got something a little different out of it. And mm-hmm. uh Either way you look at it, it's a positive score, and it's definitely worth watching. So, um, shall we talk about next week's Netflixation? Please. I went in a more traditional direction for this time. No experiments here. Um, I don't, no surprises, probably, either. Next week's Netflixation oh, is, a, indie art film. <laughs> is a movie <laughs> called... Well, no, I will start labeling them indie art if I do believe that they're indie art. My First Mister, an indie dramedy. Um, Netflix describes it as this a neurotic 49 year old store owner and his teenage clerk from a dysfunctional family form an unbreakable bond that helps heal their emotional wounds uh, this is uh, this was made or released in 2001 by the way which is weird because I've literally never heard of it before I mean I don't expect to hear about every movie that was ever made but that was about the time that I started getting into movies and stuff so um, of course we didn't have netflix and stuff back then or if we did it was very fledgling so uh you know the uh you know you you find these little gems that you you see on netflix nowadays and you're just like man or at least i think 2001 i was a freshman in high school that's that's just crazy (laughs) so let's let's go back in time and watch a movie that's 14 years old shall we uh you may know albert brooks oh uh the casting on this movie, for some reason, IMDb decided that they needed to do it in order of alphabetical order. So it's not in order of appearance like it nor or top build, which would be like whoever's in it the most, like uh, main actor, supporting actress, whatever. So I had to I just kind of went with whoever was on the poster because uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I was like, OK, they've got to be, you know, uh, I, I believe John Goodman is actually in this at some point, um, but he doesn't play it. I don't think he plays a very big part. Uh, but Albert Brooks, which you may know from Finding Nemo, Drive and Taxi Driver, uh, Lily Sobieski, The Glass House, Joyride, In the Name of the King, A Dragon Siege Tale. <laughs> I mean, what a mo- what a very random movie to be in and also i kind of want to see it no you it don't. sounds terrible <laughs> have you have no. you ha- okay there's just that's a reason why it's, it's dragon on, it's, siege it's, it's you mean dungeon siege do i maybe i yeah. do i think I made do, a, there yeah. was a very bad dungeon siege movie yeah why had, did i put dragon siege I don't jeez know. jeez louise holy smokes it's based on a video game you know it's not gonna be good well i couldn't even remember the name of the video game so you know it's bad uh, all I remember is fancy, fancy look at me. So need I say more? If you've ever played Dungeon Siege, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's directed by Christine Lottie, who um, weirdly is mostly an actor. She's only directed this one. Uh, she directed a short. She directed a um, episode of one of the shows she was on. 
and this was her first and only feature, so who knows? And uh, was written by Jill Franklin, who <laughs> wrote the episode, the episode, the yada yada. I think it's only two yadas, by the way. So there's another thing that I <laughs> Jeez, before, you, before you, I knew you were going to jump on me about that, Jason. So I was like, oh, I better. And I spelled Seinfeld wrong. I think. Good Lord. No, I didn't. I don't know. It's underlined for some reason. Telling me I spelled it wrong. Um, and a TV show called Gravity, <laughs> which came out in 2010. I don't, I, hmm. I don't know. It's not the movie Gravity, though. So I just thought it was weird that he had written that that one yeah. episode. Interesting. Netflix's guess for me was a four, and for you, is a three point five. Looks like. Yeah, that is correct. Okay, so uh, my first Mister, I don't know what that means, and uh, I guess we'll find out together, perhaps. Ooh, excellent, excellent. Thank you. Well, let's do the grab bag, and we'll call this show a Dunzo. Um. <laughs> Man, I, fr- I feel so bad because I totally forgot. Last week, um, Graham had sent us something when we talked about the uh, you know the uh, games, movie, whatever that we were anticipated. That whole question, he had an answer, and I totally left it out. And I feel so terrible because Graham, Graham is our, our epic friend from across the pond. True. And uh, he had said, I remember being super psyched for Rage on the 360 most recently. Shame it was a bit average. And I think everyone kind of felt the same way on that. I remember everyone was like, oh, it's software, it's a new game, it looks great, it's this tech engine, and then it kind of, I never played it personally, because I, I guess I wasn't ever into it, but it did seem to be kind of a letdown. Yeah, yeah, I played it and didn't finish it, so <laughs> it got tedious and repetitive. The mm. texture streaming for me was a huge problem. Anytime you turn, you'd see a texture loading in. Mm-hmm. That was just like, oh, gosh. Come on. You're known for making great first person shooter engines, game engines, and you you release it like this. Uh, They still use it, though. It's in Wolfenstein, the new order. It just doesn't have as big of a problem. So but that texture streaming, I I don't think it's the same game engine, but right. Right. And uh, then we got a couple questions from the noise at the noise. Uh, Number one, who is is the best Mega Man robot master. I'd throw down my headset if I could, but it would probably break into more pieces. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that thing's (laughs) held together by sheer luck, will, and duct tape. True. Um, You know, I'm going to go with... Even though he gets gets bitched down so easily, uh, I'm going with Metal Man. Just because the Metal Blade is the most useful weapon ever. It kills everything. That is true. It's hard and, to... And you can throw it in eight directions. Dang. Eight? It's like a selling point. Now throwing in eight directions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, it's always uh, it's always been the first three, honestly. I, I mean, I know there's like 20,000 of them nowadays, but uh, it really comes down to the first three. And uh, Shadow Man, because he's a pimp? <laughs> Nobody's gonna know what you're talking about when you say that. Scroll probably. on to newgrounds.com and watch what Skittles and Bits. Which one? Number two or three? I don't even remember. I'm pretty uh, sure you'll. I think it's like I don't know. They had like ten of them. So, <laughs> um, was and then it, watch Metal Gear Austin while you're at it because we reference that every two seconds as well. Yes, that's true. Um, was it Gemini Man who could stop time or Flash Man? I don't remember. Flash Man, Gemini Man. It was like that weird double. Was it any double? 
Yeah, I like think he'd so. Jump, he would jump and one would jump. That and makes the other sense because Jim and I were twins. So uh, I, I would say Flash, man. He looks pretty cool. Uh, maybe a little bit uh, um, plain, but uh, I, I really like his power. Like I said, the ability to stop time, I, that is why he would win in a fight against who was it? Iron Man, I think. Yeah, he can yeah, stop time. Yeah. So if you can beat him, then Nathan you got wasn't, Nathan wasn't happy with our logic on that, I don't think. <laughs> Now, if I could, he's not a robot master, but I would say Proto Man, but he's not technically Ooh. a robot master. All right, I, I will um, not break the rules. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, and then he had. Have you watched Kink on Netflix yet? You should. Hmm. I hadn't even heard of it, so I looked it up a little bit before the show, and it's. Uh, I don't know if is it a documentary, I guess, but it's uh it explores the that that industry. Um was it uh I can't even think of the acronym for it. Um is it BDSM? Is that right? Uh yeah, yeah. Bondage the of death. Bondage, <laughs> bondage do, domination Sadism and masochism. Sadism masochism, yeah. You know Something the stuff like we're into. Oh, totally, because we know the acronym, so obviously. And I know you got Fifty Shades of Grey coming on that Netflix. Oh yeah. Ugh, no. So maybe um, maybe I'll check that out at some point. I don't know. I feel like I have to. I owe it to him. I do it. And uh, watch it at work. <laughs> you're right. Right. And then the last, I just wanted to leave leave a shout out to. Uh, at Frozen Gamers, at Mighty Palo underscore Palo, and at Mr. Ham one one one, because we had a great session on Twitter the other day of reciting uh, Creed lyrics. Yeah, you did. Good lord, I had like fifty five notifications when I got on. Finally, well, you, I oh, did. You made, you made your monthly appearance on Twitter, huh? <laughs> I did. I did. It's like when it's like getting mail in the old days, where you'd get like a month's worth of mail in in one little delivery. So I I, I did get on and. Uh, I, I added some lyrics myself from uh, one of the songs. Yeah, you didn't tag anybody in it. You just said it yourself. I know, but I don't know how to tag on this darn you know what, Twitter. You know so just some excerpts here. Paolo got it all started with, a court is in session. The verdict is in. Well, it got started because you didn't say what was on the docket today. <laughs> and you didn't say it this time either. Nope. So. No appeal on the docket today. Just my own sin. <laughs> and then he said I was a disappointment, Jason. God damn it. But then it just went it kept going. Children don't stop dancing and believe you can fly away. <laughs> oh, what else we got here? Well, I just heard the news today. It seems my life is gonna change. I close my eyes, begin to pray. It's tears of joy. Streaming down, down my first. Oh gosh. It's just it's just so good. <laughs> hey, you make fun of it, but Everybody Dude, had I, an experience. I, I would. I, I might have to turn on some human clay after the show. I love that <laughs> album still. I'm Sweet. Gonna, I, I don't mind weather too much. I like some of those songs too. I'll admit it. It's Creed, you know. Fight me. Come, come at me, bro. Internet, try hard. You know. I do. <laughs> well, that's uh, a good. That's a good place to end the show, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, what, 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 what in the butt? 
No. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, edit that out too, please. Uh, <laughs> I'm leaving it in. I was just, I was just typing to Denny. I said, I'm leaving it all in. Uh, well, folks, as you can tell, we are at that point where the show should not cease to exist any longer. <laughs> so, uh, Denny, thank you so much for coming on the show, hanging out with yes. us for these past, what, gosh, Three almost three hours. <laughs> <laughs> no, next, no, thank you. Next time we're just gonna point to you when it's the beer when you're on next time, we'll say, Okay, Denny, now you can talk. It's the beer section. Go. And then okay. you can let it all out. <laughs> we gotta right. get we gotta get to that beer. We gotta get to that beer section at some point. Uh, that's a so, deal. That's a yeah, deal. Bring, that, that was our original back. intention, so we'll definitely have Denny back in the future for a little some beer talk. And uh, yeah, make sure you check out his show over on uh, it's hosted through uh, Open Forum Radio, but it's uh, Tap the Craft. Find it what you're on iTunes, Stitcher. Stitcher. Are you guys on Stitcher? Or? Yep, yep. Pretty much any way you could listen to a podcast, you'll be able to find Tap the Craft. You're savvy internet people. I believe in you. And uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Him and John put out a, a good product, and you'll you'll learn a thing or two. And just like myself and. It'll make you thirsty, though. That's the problem. <laughs> That's It'll true. make you thirsty. <laughs> There's always the thirst. Always lingering. Yeah, just grab a six-pack before you put it in your ears. <laughs> and just keep popping them. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And uh, on behalf of myself and Mr. Lucas Rose, that yes. is the end of the show. And we'll see you next week. 